Baruch Atah Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Bakarbanu Mikol Hamim, Venatan Lanu Et Horato, Baruch Atah Adonai, Noten HaTorah, Amen. Adonai, Todah Rabah for the new year that you brought us into. May you continue to bind us to the Lapid Mashiach Yeshua, and may you send Mashiach Yeshua for the final redemption speedily and soon in our days. Amen. So, Lashana Tova, well uh, overdue. We are now after Sukkot and on to Cheshvan in a couple of weeks or in a week or so. And uh, yes, the audio sounds really weird right now because I am driving. Not looking at my phone, though. Just want to give you a heads up on that, and I'm keeping my eyes on the road. All my sources are going to come by memory. That's right to Shem. And uh, anyway, we are in Parshat Bereshit now. So what's been going on in Parshat Bereshit? Well, oh my word. So since I'm going off memory, I need to start with the thing that's most fresh in my mind, that's most impacting to me right now. And it is in Bereshit 2.22. Talking about the rib that Hava was taken from. And apparently, and this is from a firefighter who I like to call Melik Jimmy. He talks about there's this rib that apparently is called the floating rib. And if it is surgically removed, it apparently can regrow. So the whole uh, running joke about, you know, uh, Men should have one less rib than women, and uh, how do you know who Adam is? You know, check his side, which is interesting. Now that I think about checking his side, what do you think the spear that pierced Mashiach pierced him at? Probably in the same side in that floating rib, because if you think about where the bride is supposed to come from, the woman that's supposed to come out of man, that is his congregation. And, you know, a human being consists of blood and water. So you're talking about a person here coming out of his side when he was struck. So, yes, it parallels and correlates to the rock, the the well of Miriam, the air of Miriam. That's how you say that in Hebrew. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, obviously that rock that traveled with them in the wilderness, who we know from Shaul with his confirmation, as if we needed that because Jewish sources... It pretty much just points that out. But, you know, it's always good to have a Brit Hadashah reference, right? You know, just be in the safe zone, Brooke Shim. But, um, yeah, so it totally talks about that, you know, that rock, when uh, Miriam died, it gave forth no more water. So this is in Parshat Kuchat in Bamibar. And uh, so in Numbers, uh, the Torah portion about the red heifer. So if you read in that, uh, Torah portion, you can find out all about the bleeding rock. Uh, basically, because Moshe was going around and he was supposed to take the staff, like the sapphire staff of Moshe, um, you know, because Moshe's staff was the same as the sapphire tablets, just one staff instead of two tablets. Uh, anyway, they weighed the same. Written Torah on them and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, the Torah was in the hand of the Redeemer and the uh, staff of Moshe is equivalent to the sapphire tablet, so yes, that's all wrapped up right there so beautifully, um, but anyway, he's supposed to take this staff and go sp- 
beat to the rock. Well, you know, there was kind of an issue because all the rocks looked the same, and it was like, which one is it? And as he is going from rock to rock, like literally rocking and rolling, because it's like, nope, not this one. Let's move on. I'll roll on to the next one. Because, you know, the rock, when it traveled, it rolled along with them, you know, so there's the whole rock and roll thing. But anyway, so the rock is just all hidden, and the people are following Moshe, and they're like, Moshe, if you just strike a rock and make some water come out, that's totally fine. It doesn't matter if it is the rock. We just need a rock to supply us with some water. And Moshe's like, "Mm, no, we can't do that. And by the time, you know, he's already sitting Shiva or standing Shiva, even though he should be sitting because his sister passed away, and the people are not giving him any time to mourn. What's up with that? You know, where's the compassion? It's like, yeah, I know your sister just died, but that's cool. We need water, and we, you know, you got issues for having us out here. So he's, like, going around, striking this rock, And he ended up, by the time he got so fed up and struck a rock, because all the other rocks he actually had the staff and he spoke to, which is interesting, because that's what he was supposed to do. He wasn't supposed to strike the rock. So you think about that, that frustration, the tension, just building up. It's just like, I'm speaking, I'm speaking, nothing's happening. Different rock. Which one is it? The people are like, we don't care, give us water. You know, and he's like, fine strikes the rock, and it ends up being the well of Miriam that he strikes. You know, first of all, just zoom out from this real quick. We're talking about the well of Miriam, literally the the outflow, the outpouring of Miriam, the living water that comes from Miriam, or the living water of Miriam. You know, so you think about Mashiach Yeshua, who is the son of Miriam. You know, so it's like Yeshua comes from Miriam. By the spirit. Oh. Because, you know, the rock is called spiritual rock. You know, again, this is Corinthians. Okay, Corinthians 10 talks about this rock, spiritual. The rock is Messiah. So, anyway, I'm swerving all. I'm not swerving on the road. Side note. Uh, this is kind of interesting, Josh, I like this. But, anyway, back to what we're talking about. Strikes that rock. And it says in the text about... Uh, this word that is used for a woman who is in Nida about the blood that comes out and then uh, so it uses that word so it literally is a Gerasah Shava which is a uh, illusion uh, method of studying the Torah where you can find things that are used in similar phrases which is really the big point that I'm getting to right now so uh, I'm going to do that um, as far as bring forth my points, I'm going to use Garis Hashabas in another second, in another example, so you'll see that. But anyway, so it uses that word for the, the blood flow, and then it says, and then water came out. So the pouring out of the water, literally the commentary on that verse is about blood coming out first and then water. So now we obviously go to the crucifixion site where Mashiach is, crucified on the stake, and uh, he's already given up the ghost, and by that point, you know, uh, you just, I don't know, for some reason I just kind of stop and pause on that, because it's like, 
Mashiach is quote unquote dead at this point. You know, so there's no no life in him, so he's like not there. Just kind of like the way the rock just hid itself among the other rocks to the point where it seemed like it just wasn't there, but it was there. Which is another thing about, you know, thinking about the death of Mashiach, it's a death, but it's not really. Just like we see Bezot HaBarakah, the final parasha of Devarim, Moshe dies, but not really. You know, and then apparently Yaakov dies, but not really. Jacob, you know, the Lamb of God, literally that's what he's called. Jacob, Israel, you know, is dead, but not really. So, you know, just these interesting points where these three particular individuals who are codified in Lakute Sikot by saying that their bodies uh, gave forth no ritual impurity, just like a normal corpse would. So it's just like, what's up with that? Well, if you think about Yaakov, then you think about Moshe, and then you think about Yeshua. Yaakov, Moshe, Yeshua. What's the deal with those, you know? So it's just like, you kind of think about the significance of who these people were, considered Zodics, considered Redeemers, you know, considered people who were full of the Spirit of God, who were entrusted with a great mission upon the earth kind of thing. So, yeah, obviously you just tie all those parallels. But they're at some level to this previous commentary, at least on Yaakov and at least on Moshe, it has to be actualized in Mashiach Yeshua. You know, Mashiach Yeshua went around to dead corpses all throughout his ministry, and what did he say? They were just sleeping. So, yeah, that's an intentional pause. That's like, okay, so if they were just sleeping, how much more so with him? Because when we go to sleep, our, our spirit our, it leaves our body. And so the only thing that's left in our bodies as we're sleeping is our animating faculties. So we can be able to breathe and kind of move if we're uncomfortable. But our consciousness, you know, it's elsewhere. That's why we're having dreams. And uh, there, it gets into all sorts of things about how our soul goes up to Shemayim, sits in uh, court, you know, and there's all sorts of crazy tangents you can go off into that. But that's beyond the scope of this drosh. This drive and drosh. Anyway, uh, this is crazy right now. So, Mashiach is doing that. He's elsewhere, but he's still not dead. So, however you make that work, obviously, there's no cookie cutter, simplified, shot way to make that work. But, I'm just bringing forward case precedent and uh, factual evidence of what the, all the texts say when you line them up. So, study about the death of Yaakov, the death of Moshe, the death of Mashiach, and look into some commentary from the Sikhte, the Sifri, um, Talmud, you know, get you some. Anyway, Or Hakim. Or Hakim is always a good go-to on things like that. So, Rukashem, Yeshua was just sleeping, and his body gave forth no ritual impurity, and, you know, less than three days later, he was uh, resurrected again by the Spirit, and it's all good. His Spirit returned to his body, like when you wake up. So he had a three-day nap. Anyway, 
he was busy on the other side doing stuff like preaching the uh, the message of freedom to those who are in captivity, those who are in the place of the dead, Sheol, and all sorts of stuff like that. How in the world did I get way into this topic? Well, I don't know. But I remember talking about a rock and all sorts of stuff like that and Bruchem. So... In this week's tour portion, ah, the piercing in the side, that's how we got here. Alright, so, when the rib was taken from Adam, the rib grew back eventually. Uh, Targum Ankylos is where my source is on this part. And uh, Melik Jimmy was my source on the floating rib and the growing back and surgically removed and all that sort of stuff. Anyway, he's a firefighter, so take it up with him and all the medical... Uh, lingo on all that, because I am not a doctor, but I do know some Torah, so, Ankylos brings down the sleep that Adam was put into, was likened to like a form of anesthesia, so that he wouldn't feel any pain when this procedure would happen, so, Targum does uh, confirm that this is like a surgical thing, next up, it talks about the rib, and it quotes Shemot 2620. The only reason I memorized that is because it's so impactful to think about what in the world, Ankylos, like, did you really just say the rib being removed from Adam to fashion Hava? Notice it's fashioned and not created. Fashioned. He was taking her from what already existed and bringing her forth, just like the Torah. The Torah was the same way. If you read, it's uh, Mishlei, Proverbs chapter 8, talks about the Torah was with Hashem in the beginning, and daily was his delight. You know, Midrash Rabbah is all over this. Zohar, all over this. About the Torah existing before creation, and this is the throne of God, and, you know, it was one of the seven things that were before creation how the uh, the Torah was set up, you know, so brought forth. Some, some terminology uses the word created. But again, I want all of us to elevate from this, uh, this understanding about how things can be, quote-unquote, created when it's outside of and before creation. Let's elevate up from that a little bit. Because you have to think about Something being created outside of creation, outside of time, in the midst, in the context of infinity, how how do you even term give that a term, you know? So try not to get locked into, oh, the Mashiach was created, the Torah was created, the throne of God was created. Like, think about it like Hava coming out of the side of Adam. Because Hashem is the primordial Adam, you know? So, just kind of come at it from that angle. And Baruch Hashem, may you be blessed. So, I mean, But anyway, so, where I was going with Shemot 2620, in case you haven't read it yet, it's about the planks of the Mishkan. Yes, the Mishkan's ribs is the same terminology that's used for Hava. Is like the planks of the Mishkan. So much so, Ankylos talks about, if you really think about what the text says, when it says Hashem made Adam, he 
old-fashioned them. So I made one person, but it was them, not him, which is important because the first Adam is masculine and feminine all together, and his rib was called a plank of the Mishkan. That plank that was used to bring forth his bride. You know, so there's a lot to that. So when you think about why did Mashiach Yeshua not get married? First of all, he was already married when the children of Israel were standing at the foot of the mountain and they said, not nah, save it, Nishma. Two crowns, nice little hoopah was already going on with the mountain and everything. So that was a wedding ceremony. So the giving of the Torah, the, uh, always uh, recorded historically, brought up and talked about during the festival of Shavuot, uh, that's a wedding, okay? So, yeah. Anyway, so that's all going on. So, but think about it. If Mashiach is, which he is, so Mashiach being the second Adam, he's going to be like the first Adam and more. Obviously, it's going to be on expanded level. It's going to be on a rectified level. So the first Adam was created apart from sin, apart from Yetzirah. Subsequently, taken, separated out, became man and woman just from Adam. So Adam actually originally was man and woman. I know that's kind of hard to think. and It's kind of crazy to think about. And uh, Targum doesn't help by saying, oh, it's kind of like a, if you think about it, it's like a Siamese thing. You know, they had two faces. You know, they were back-to-back kind of thing. And it's just like, oh, that's awkward. I don't know how that works, but uh, I don't want to think about that right now. So anyway, so think about it perfected in Mashiach, how the two could be one. You know, because a man shall leave a man and a woman. They shall both leave their homes. They shall cleave to one another, and the two shall become one flesh. Well, Mashiach was totally one flesh, born apart from the natural birth process of a man uh, and a woman having marital relations and giving forth seed. Instead, it was the Ruach, you know, bringing forth the seed from Hashem into the woman who birthed out the child like a normal birth, you know, and so into a household, and there's a whole adoption, grafted in process, all right there for Hashem. So... I know it's ladies over there, that's a lot to really dissect, but just follow me here. So now you got the second Adam that's brought forth containing within him masculine and feminine, which is why I would bring to the table when Mashiach himself quotes, Oh, Jerusalem, how I would long to gather you in like a mother hen would gather her nurslings. That's not like a manly thing that we would think, like, oh, like, we're gathering my children, you know, like, that's definitely more nurturing, you know, and so, uh, there's that kind of idea of not calling Yeshua a woman, but, you know, we're talking about masculine and feminine, you know, if we can just kind of stay on that tangent, I think that'd be safe for everybody, so, hands inside the vehicle, you know, keep your seatbelt on, alright, group shim, so now, Mashiach Yeshua typifies the first Adam who was created as one being but was called them. 
This is why we look at Mashiach Yeshua, the Mashiach, like the Torah in the flesh, and then the Spirit all in one. Because a lot of times it's taught that the Torah and the Spirit of God are two totally different things. And they're not. Because they all come from the same place. So if the Spirit is in opposition to the Torah or vice versa, then you got to wonder what's the source. Because from Hashem only comes Ahad. Which I think is a great place to kind of camp out, you know. From Hashem only comes Echad. Everything about Hashem is unity. This is why you look at when did separation originally happen? It happened on the second day of creation, not the first day. Notice the first day is not even called the first day. It's called Yom Echad. Because this day contains everything in creation. It contains all of the millennia, all of the six thousand years, seven thousand years, like all time, before and after, like it's all contained here because this is Hashem becoming manifest and it's called Yom Echad. A day where there is Echad. There's only one that you can't tell anything apart. You can't tell darkness from light. You can't tell uh well, you could tell darkness from light by the end of it because it says there was evening and there was morning which by the way uh, newsflash for anyone who may not know that when you follow the Jewish calendar the days start at the night time so if you want to say Yom Shani which is the second day of the week which normally corresponds to Monday it would actually start on Sunday night this is why Arab Shabbat precedes Shabbat day. So Arab Shabbat is on a Friday night and Shabbat is on a Saturday. So first day starts at the Havdalah, which is on Saturday night. So you think about Mashiach Yeshua rising on the first day. Well, that would be sometime after Havdalah and before sunrise. So there's that. And then, uh, yeah. So we got Ahad. It only comes from Hashem. So the Spirit and the Torah, all unified, all one. Get you some. Now, next up, the rib being likened to the planks of the Mishkan just basically shows us on a very highly illusionary level, which is called uh, Remez. So the level of Remez in the form of Pardes, Bashat, Remez, Drash, Sod. You know, that whole thing. So your remiss to this verse in Bereshit 2.22 is that the first Adam is a manifestation of the Mishkan or the temple of Hashem. So this is a place where the spirit and the Torah exist. This is a place where Hashem, you're connecting with Hashem. Because you think about when you go to the Mishkan, this is a place of your atonement. This is a place of heaven and earth united. This is a place where you're attached and connected to Hashem. And so if you're looking at Mashiach Yeshua and why we should be attached and connected to him, how he's our atonement, that's because he's the second Adam. And we need to be in him. We need to be connected with him. We need to 
leave our mother and our father, which is always probabilistically likened to knowledge and understand or wisdom and understanding. Wisdom being the father, which is Kokma, Bina, which is understanding, being the mother. So you have to forsake your own Kokma, your own Bina, and come to your husband, Mashiach Yeshua, and be one and unified with him, unified with him. And when you're doing that, you're entering into the final temple of Hashem that will never be destroyed. So this is why you can look at Revelation and see that when Yochanan says, I saw the city of Jerusalem descending and there was no temple. It's like, yeah, because there wasn't a temple in the garden, but there was because it was Adam. So now we have the second Adam, and we're in the second Adam. We're attached to the second Adam. And that's the temple. So, anyway, just wanted to share that because that was absolutely mind boggling to me to just kind of see that the first Redeemer or the first Adam, Slika, is like literally a manifestation of the temple of God. And then you have Yeshua coming later saying, Tear down this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. It's just like, okay, so Hashem wants us to know that the temple is a manifestation of who he is. And if he can do it with material creation, how much more so can he do it with human flesh? And this is why it's important to understand that Mashiach is from Hashem. He is the word of Hashem, the name of Hashem, literally in fleshly form. Just like the Torah, the tablets, you know, the sapphire tablets, the Lukot, are the name of Hashem, the form of Hashem, in, in tablets, you know, so it's like, it's not a big step, you know, we we get sometimes encouraged to kind of take these low-hanging fruit drops of, no, nah, Hashem can't do that, that seems too crazy, and that's idolatrous, that's like so pagan, that's like trying to borrow from other faith systems and like impute that into Ju- Judaism, you know, and it's just like, wow. First of all, where do you think they got it from? Second of all, Hashem has been manifested since the Almakad. So, what are you going to do with that? Alright, but anyway, uh, the other thing that I really want to bring down is the Zohar this week definitely drops that the Zohar is called the name of Hashem, that Azotic is a living Torah scroll. So, Mashiach says that, you know, or not Mashiach says, but it's written in Romans that we have imputed righteousness that has been placed upon us through Mashiach. So follow that out. If we're walking in Mashiach Yeshua and walking in his likeness, imitating him, being imitators of Hashem, we become a living Torah scroll. So Mashiach Yeshua being the Torah made flesh, that's not a huge thing either. So, yeah, everything's just getting fleshed out right now. That's what Bear Sheet's all about. And uh, with the expulsion from the garden, because we ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which, by the way, we ate from that tree, and that's what caused us to have our inner turmoils and struggles. It's not what you're raised up in. It's not what you've been conditioned to be, any of that. I'm not going to take away from that because I definitely had things that, were issues for me, you know, and and growing up that I'm kind of like, man, I'm traumatized, and I'm like, everybody has that story, but 
more so on top of that, we all have the story of the tree, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which caused the Yetzirah, the evil inclination, the desires of the flesh, to make its home within us. So now when Shaul is talking about who will set me free from this body of death, he's talking about who's going to get out this impurity, this, this evil, this wickedness that is within me that was not originally a part of me before eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, only through Mashiach Yeshua will we be delivered from the effects of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Ultimately, with the final redemption and the resurrection from the dead, you know, we will be. Until that time, we have to struggle, we have to battle. And that's the reason why we didn't get to eat from the tree of the, the tree of life, was because we would be stuck in this sinful condition forever. So this is why we have to be born again, so that we're born, born anew with uh, not these effects, which, by the way, I know we're born again, we still struggle. Well, that's part of it. But you can't eat from the tree of life, which is the Torah, by the way. You can't eat from Yeshua, who's also the tree of life. You can't eat from the sacrifice of Mashiach Yeshua, which is also called the tree of life, unless you've been born again. Because if you try to follow Torah, which this is also brought down in Talmud and Midrash this week, that if you're following Torah with your own devices, your own wisdom, your own knowledge, your own understanding, which is the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, you're following the Torah with that fruit in your mouth and in your stomach and in your digestive system. You will be led to death. You will be led to separating yourself from the community. You will be led to despising your rabbi or any teacher or any person who is trying to help you understand Torah. You will despise any mitzvah of Torah, even though you think you don't, even though you think you have a mitzvah, you don't. You will be definitely deluded at best, you know, like very deceived, like, oh, yeah, I'm so holy, I'm so pious, I'm doing the best I can. I don't think I'm better than anybody, but really I'm better than everybody, so they just need to know that. Like those kinds of things, they happen. And that's what happens when you partake from the tree of life and you're not supposed to. This is why the flaming sword is on the path to the tree of life. Why is that flaming sword there? That flaming sword is there to deter you. But as my Habibi, Hasis Baz, brought down like a champ, he was talking about this is not a deter. This is actually a hint. The Shem is showing us and signaling us like a semi-pharaoh on a runway. You need to land over here. The spinning sword, it's fiery. You need to be making teshuva with your Torah observance. The angel that's guarding there, you need to be angelic, always with the praise of Shem on your lips. Be a servant. Be one who is nullified of their own will. If you put that concoction together, I guarantee you, if a lot more of us are doing that, Mashiach can't help but to come back and the final redemption can't help but start because we'd already be living it. And, you know, that's our challenge. And so, Lakute Torah brings down the expulsion from the garden, began this whole process of us battling against our desires of the flesh, our Yetzirah, like all the same thing, uh, battling that. And as we battle and become victorious, and as we battle and we lose and we make Teshuvah, 
and we become victorious. So even our losing becomes victorious when that's the case. Not that we need to focus on losing because that's not what a winner does. And Hashem wants us to be winners. All right. But anyway, as we do that, that process is called gathering the divine sparks. And what happened in the garden gets rectified the more and more sparks we gather. So this is our making proselytes, making converts. This is our daily uh, refining ourselves, building up in the Torah, building ourselves up in our most holy faith, as Yehuda or Jude, writes in the Brit Hadashah. He talks about that. It's an excellent letter to read, uh, and all of that. So I'm almost done with my drive, and this is like the quickest drive ever because I haven't really been uh, feeling like this takes forever. So what do we know? What do we know? Baruch Atah Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Natan Lanu Torah Temet, Vechaye Olam Natah Betocheinu, Baruch Atah Adonai, Noten HaTorah, Amen. Adonai, may you please send Mashiach speedily and soon in our days. Please bring in your converts and the lost sheep of Israel. Baruch Haba B'Shem Adonai.